financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing good. Much better than last week. I had a little bit of a cold last week and uh, feeling 100% this week, so that's good. Some things that are not feeling so good. Are we talking about mortgages today and houses? Well, I mean, we could talk about anything that's on your mind today, Jess. All right. I do have some questions for you as well. Oh, good. Let's start with mortgages, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with questions, I think. I think the idea of this uh, rising inflation is on everybody's mind. And I recently saw the president in an interview saying, trying to defend it, you know, the commentator was saying, but this is the highest rate of inflation in 40 years. Mm -hmm. And the president said, but you don't understand. It's not going up by much. It's gone from 8.2 to 8.3, you know. And I I watched it and I thought, oh, (laughs) you know, this is all you can say about this at this point. Nothing political about that. Any president in this situation, that's what they could say. It's not going up more right now. It's not going up faster. Right. But for the average person, that doesn't change anything. Whether it's 8.2 or 8.3%, you're still looking at mortgage rates hovering around 6%. And that means a different story if you're trying to move from renting to buying a home or just trying to get into your first home or trying to change, either downsize or upsize, right? So now what you're looking at is a higher interest rate. Uh, I think there was an article recently that was talking about it takes, well, a little bit more than a third, 35.51% of the median household income, household income, median household income, not one person anymore, just to make the principal and interest payment if you put 20% down on your home. And that's huge. I mean, that's a huge amount. Like, that gets scary. Yeah. I mean, I like to see people at 36% or less, and so do the banks, by the way, debt-to-income ratio, and that includes your mortgage, your car payments, your credit cards, your student loans. It includes all of that. That's your debt. So if you're having to pay 35.51% for just your principal and interest on your mortgage, you're left with 0.09% for that debt. And then we start thinking about groceries and gasoline and insurances, right? So this is worrisome, to say the least. But let's talk about a little bit of history, how we got here, and what we think might happen going forward, and what it means to the individual. Okay. I think the initial reaction, at least for me, if I were house shopping, my initial reaction would be, oh my goodness, am I getting priced out of the market? If I were selling, I'd be thinking, wow, I better get this sold while I can. But the fact of the matter is the checks and balances that the government puts in place when they find, and I hate to say when they find themselves in in this position, but it always seems like that to me. It always seems like a lagging indicator somehow that the government comes up and says, we got too much inflation. Let's, you know, cool this market. So the point I'm trying to make is they will take steps and action to try and correct it. But it's like a rubber band, just, you know, you can stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. And then if it doesn't break, if we don't end up in a great depression, right, if it doesn't break, Mm -hmm. it comes back. And whether it comes back slowly or quickly is another story. We try to avoid things stretching too fast and breaking or contracting too quickly and just snapping back and having this giant seesaw effect. So the idea is to level the market out. 
Is this kind of like the supply and demand thing we talked about before where they raised the interest rate because too many houses were selling too quickly with the low interest rates? It actually is like that. That's exactly the point. And so what you might be thinking right now is I've heard people on both sides of the fence. I had a real estate investor tell me they weren't worried about selling their houses because there's all this pent-up demand. And I said, but they've got 6% interest rates on mortgages. Mm -hmm. And their income didn't go up by that amount. So who's going to buy these houses at these rates? Now, that brings me to my next point, which is if you are either on the buying side and you're worried that you're priced out of the market and you won't be able to get a house Mm -hmm. and you'll be renting the rest of your life and that's not what you want to do. Or if you're on the selling side and it's not an emergency that you sell your house and you could wait a little while, what we will see is, and I don't know exactly what it will be, but my prediction is that we will see some creative measures taken. Okay. So, but it, like what? Okay. So let's go back again for a minute. Let's take a little history, a little tour on the mortgage train here. There's lots of um, scholars who hypothesize where mortgages started. Way back to, you know, people just making a pledge for their land and not getting control of it until the pledge, you know, was paid off, right? Mm-hmm. But the actual mortgage market in America, which is different than other places, really started happening around the 1930s. So you think about the Great Depression, you know, people did have mortgages, but they, had, they, had, they could only mortgage 50% of their property. They could only have a loan for, I think it was three to five years. Wow. Uh, yeah, people couldn't do it. Yeah. Even if you had a mortgage during that time, uh, it was few and far between, and you were really under the gun. In fact, you'd have a three- to five-year time to pay it and a balloon payment at the end for added fun. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> then the FDIC insurance made it a little bit more palatable for financial institutions to start thinking about lending. But guess who jumped on the bandwagon here? It was not financial lending institutions that started the mortgage boom in America. It was insurance companies. Mm. And I like to say they did it for nefarious reasons because there's nobody (laughs) really going to blame me for this now. (laughs) But in fact, they did. They ended up owning, you know, thousands and thousands of homes because they lent money to people who couldn't repay it in that period of time and who ended up in foreclosure and lost their property. Mm. Then along comes FDR, New Deal. He says, wait, we can't have this. Uh, owning a house is the American dream. We have to find a way for people to do it. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to create a mortgage system whereby you can get a 15-year mortgage Mm -hmm. without a balloon payment at the end. And we're going to convert all these weird loans because prior to the New Deal, people had to renegotiate their mortgage every year. Really? Yeah, which is another reason why things fell into foreclosure because you know, if you lost your job or anything changed or your bank didn't decide you were, or your financial institution didn't decide you were worthy of this loan anymore, uh, you might have a mortgage this year and not next. Oh, that's awful. House might go immediately into foreclosure. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, for sure. So when people are afraid now of the mortgage market, I like to go back to this little history and say, but wait. Mm -hmm. It was worse. Yeah, we've really been in mortgage hell in the United States, and we've gotten out of it, and we know how to do that. So FDR says, look, you can have a 15-year mortgage, no balloon payment. We're going to convert these renegotiate-every-year loans into fixed-rate mortgages. And hallelujah, the country has mortgages they can afford. Eventually, that became what we know today 
of our 30-year mortgage. Okay. Now, it used to be very cookie-cutter. You had X. You had a 15-year mortgage at this rate. That was it. Done deal. As things happened and people started to have more inflation or there were other reasons that people couldn't avail themselves of these fixed-rate cookie-cutter mortgages, housing prices went up. People couldn't afford to pay for it in 15 years. Guess what happened? They extended it to 30. Yeah, exactly. And in, in California, you know, 40 or more because the properties are so expensive. So I don't necessarily like that solution. I don't like the longer-term loan solution. Mm-hmm. But banks also became far more creative. Right now where we're saying, hey, mortgage rates are hovering around 6%, if you shop the market, you might find a bank with a variable rate mortgage, much less expensive than that. Yes, it's going to change every year, but it's going to change every year, and it will have rules. It'll say it can go up no more than, let's say, 2% per year with a 5% total cap. Do you like a variable loan better or a fixed loan better, or it just depends what you lock it in at? It depends on the market. Okay. Which is a great thing about what has happened. Of course, I would prefer nobody ever had to have a mortgage. But mm-hmm. let's face it, most of middle class and lower middle class or whatever we're calling these classes now, most of us general normal people <laughs> cannot have a mortgage. Yeah, you can't pay cash for house. But that's the chicken or the egg to me, Jess. I used to say to people, and occasionally still do, why does a, why is the median cost of a house in America $400,000 or $450,000? Because it can be. Because it can be. Uh, why are the costs of building supplies what they are? Because they can be. Yeah, people are paying now, it. it all, well, they're not paying it. They're charging it. And that's the difference. That's the difference. We have extended credit to a point where, you know, that article I was talking about, which I think you actually sent me, that said, you know, 35.51% of the median household income is going to pay for a house right now. Mm-hmm. The American dream is so intrinsically rooted in us. We just, we want to have a house. That's the whole thing. We not only want to have a house, we want to have a house with a nice yard, with a good fence, with uh, new cars parked in the driveway, with perfect furniture inside. 2.4 children, you know, yeah. that's, that's what we want. Well, everyone and, always says, too, that if you're renting, you're just throwing money away. I, I always hear that. If you're renting, you're throwing money away. Well, yeah, I think for a lot of people that's true. You don't have any equity, but there is a trade-off, or otherwise people would never rent. Mm-hmm. And the trade-off is you don't have to worry about your the real estate taxes, which, by the way, are not in that 35%. That's only principal and interest we're talking about. So now you add on real estate taxes homeowner's insurance, right? Compare the cost of a homeowner's insurance policy to a renter's insurance policy. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Your homeowners might be 1200 bucks a year. Your renters might be 120 So there are reasons that people rent. They don't have to worry about the repairs. They don't have to, you know, do any of that. But they are not in control of how much their rent goes up. They have to move from time to time. Somebody else can buy their house and all that. So it's a trade-off. I mean, some people rent their whole life and like it that way. That's what they want. That is where they're comfortable. Well, and there's people that rent, too, that can't get approved for a mortgage. Well, yeah. So now that's where we started about people being afraid that they're being priced out. Mm -hmm. So we can go into more of this in the second half 
map as well. But what I suspect will happen is that we will start to see new kinds of mortgages emerge. They may not be longer terms. They may be blended mortgages. You know, it's going to be variable for this period of time, and then it's going to amortize into a fixed loan. It's going to be a good example is a construction mortgage. That's a way where banks got really creative because people wanted to build their own home. And how the heck were they going to do it? If, you know, if you can't have a house with no roof for 10 years while you're working on getting the money together for the roof. Right. So the way construction loans work is the bank extends a line of credit to you and they dole out the money as you show that the work has been done. And you pay on that amount for a set period of time, maybe a year, maybe two. And at the end of that period of time, that loan becomes an amortized mortgage. In other words, a, a permanent kind of a mortgage. It might become a 30-year mortgage or whatever. That's the way that banks have figured out how to help people based on just the value of their land and their credit build a house and not have to start paying on a mortgage for a house that isn't completed when it might take them a year, two years, three years to build it. Okay, well, we'll talk more about this and then some other things the banks might be doing coming up with the second half of Financial Fitness. I want to get your phone number first. 413-773-3333. Or you can always go to HugYourMoney.com. More with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram with part two of Financial Fitness coming up next on WHMP.